Okay, ready? The, the, the book of Habakkuk. I used to call it Habakkuk. And actually, in Hebrew, that's probably a more pronunciation. Uh, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. And usually it will come up on the screen. I think, brother, I have uh, the King James translation. I usually use that. Appreciate all the sound people. I always want to honor sound people because they have the toughest job probably in the church on a Sunday. All right, here we go. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3. For the vision is for an appointed time. But at the end, now say this with me, at the end. Bible says this, it will speak and not lie. So in other words, it's, it's not just God is saying, if I tell you something, I'm not going to lie, lie to you. If I told you something, I'm not tricking you. The Holy Spirit's called spirit of truth. So if God told it to you, he's saying to you, it's not a lie. You have to keep believing it. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, that's a contradiction. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. I've got to give you the setting because I went back and did a little study on the setting of why this is given because preachers all of my life have preached on the idea of write the vision and believe God for it. The prophet uh, who was actually, uh, Habakkuk was not very well known, mentions the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were a group of people that lived in an empire in the area of Iraq where ancient Babylon was. And uh, at the time, this may have been at the time of the Jewish captivity, they're not really certain about it, but he has been seeking God and crying out to God, and it is as though God is not hearing or listening to him. Now, has anyone ever just sort of week after week, you cried out to God, and just, just the heavens are brass, there's just nothing happening, nothing is going on. So he's really grieved. Now, the real prophets of the Bible would become really grieved over the sins of the people because they knew if they continued persistent that God was merciful. But if they persisted, there would come a time when a judgment would come on them, either on their bodies or on their cities or on their nations. So he's very, he's very grieved about this. And what's happening is as the prophets are prophesying and warning the people, nobody's paying attention and no one is changing their their life or their thinking. You know, repent. Let me just talk to you because it just came to me a moment ago sitting here, and I'm not sure why I'm saying this, but I want, I want you to understand something. I've always was, was taught that to repent means to say, I'm sorry. So we do something wrong, and we go to God, and we repent and tell him we're sorry. The word repent in Greek actually means to do a turnabout in your thinking. And the reason many times people repent, you remember Hank would go to the revivals, I'd go to the revivals, we'd run those long revivals, and everybody coming, you know, uh, blowing mucus all over the place, spitting on each other, hawking and hucking and bucking and rolling around and screaming, you know, it was old-time Pentecost back in that day, of course. And then you'd go, you'd go back a month later and say, where are they at? Well, they're out there back in the world. Well, here's what happened. They got into the emotion of the anointing. And, and there is emotion in the anointing, and that's not bad. But they would get into that, and then, but they never changed their thinking. And when you change your thinking, the only way you can change your thinking in sin is to just get sick of the sin. Because if you like what you do, I promise you, you'll never change. You will get in a cycle of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you probably will be. It's, you, sincerely, you are. But unless you just say, this is dumb, this is stupid, this is getting me nowhere, it doesn't profit me at all, I want to change. Then when your, mind, when your heart changes, it changes your mind. When your mind changes, your thinking changes. When your thinking has changed, 
you have now truly repented. So, just, so this is what was happening in Israel. They weren't changing. They were being told, hey, yeah, let's go to the temple and pray. Let's go offer a sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. But none of them were changing what was causing the problem in their own life or in their nation. So here's what God said. God, now remember, many years had gone by. So God says, you know what? Finally, I'm going to have to judge this nation because if I don't judge them, they're going to corrupt their children. They're going to corrupt their grandchildren. I will lose control of this country. They will become pagans. They'll become idol worshipers. There'll be no Israel if I don't judge them. So what was happening was this. The prophet is vexed because of what he sees. Now he is vexed because he knows what is coming. However, however, the problem was this, that there, and you can read this with the other prophets if you look at the other prophets. The problem was, as he is warning them, nobody's paying attention. So it looks like what he's saying and the vision that he has seen of what is coming is a lie. It looks like he's like, oh, these prophets, yeah, they, you know, they get off on tangents. They don't know what they're talking about. They're a bunch of weird guys living in caves and mountains. And so as a result of this, they've got, there's a real conflict going on here. So now here's what Habakkuk is saying. You've been telling me for years that you're going to judge the nation so where is it at? Nothing's happening. You're being mocked. I'm being mocked. Nobody's paying attention. And this is what God says to him. Now, we have used this as preachers to encourage people. But in the setting, listen to what God says. I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though I told it to you. Now, we, we look at that as a positive verse. If I were to say to Rhonda, Rhonda, God told me to tell you he's going to work a work in you in the future that if he told you, he wouldn't believe it. That would not be a bad word. Would you agree? I mean, that'd be a pretty good word. You'd be, you'd be in line saying, prophesy for me, prophesy over me, prophesy over me. You know, you'd be going to slap you in the head and give you that same word. So what the thing is, though, is in this case, though, he's telling him, look, if I really told you what was coming. Now, have you read the story of the Babylonians coming and burning the temple, taking people captive to Babylon, including Daniel and all those boys? Okay, that's what God is saying. If I told you, if I really told you what was happening, you wouldn't even believe it. The work that I'm going to do while you are still living. Now, Here's what I want to tell you about, and we're going to get to this part, how it applies to you and me in just about two or three minutes. They are beginning to mock the vision that the prophet has. Jewish leaders in that day, and that you can read the book of Jeremiah. When I did my study Bible on the book of Jeremiah, I got real deep in there. Man, I had been in church all my life, and I never knew what this guy had to go through prophesying to these people to repent. And God, you know, he, I mean, he got so sick of them wanting to kill him because his prophecies were negative, he said to God, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm done with them. You go do what you want with them. I'm out of here. And then he said, but it was like a fire shut up in my bones. And then he could not shut up because when he tried to shut up, he just burned on the inside. See? So the Jewish leaders are mocking these prophets and telling them, God's going to stop the trouble. Don't worry. God loves Jerusalem. God loves the temple. God cares about his people. Do not listen to these negative prophets who are prophesying doom and gloom. You know, when you talk about the rapture and the tribulation or the Antichrist, you know what they call me all over the world? The people that are not Christians, by the way, and some Christians. He's a doom and gloom prophet. No, 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 baby. I'm not a doom and gloom because I've read the end of the book and I know how it ends. You ain't got no gloom for us. 
There's no gloom for us. There's no gloom for us in the tribulation because we're in heaven. There's no gloom for us in the millennial reign because we're ruling with him. There's no gloom for us in eternity because we're in the new Jerusalem on a new heaven and a new earth. Are you kidding me? They don't doom and gloom with that. But anyway, here, so all of this is going on. So, it's a lot. so here's what God says. Watch the wording now. The vision will speak. It is for an appointed time. It is delayed. Wait for it. Now, you know, you, you look at these four statements, and it's like it's all, it's all over the board. The vision's coming. Uh, it's not coming yet. Uh, it's coming, but it's been delayed. Uh, wait for it, although you don't see it. So if you have ever been like I have, when I'm in a long season, and I'm trying to figure out why God just doesn't speed stuff up. Now, the reason you and I are not little gods or we are not God is because half the people you know you've already, you would have already killed if you were God. Some relatives, some in-laws, some ex-friends. Come on, ex-ex. Come on, anybody talking with me right here? And you would have already just, just you'd have been like Peter and John. You know, they go to Samaria. Or James and John. They go to Samaria, Right? And the Samaritans are half Jews and half Gentiles. And the Jews don't like them because they're half Gentile. The Gentiles don't like them because they're half Jews. And they're just kind of like a mixed group of people. And they reject the ministry of Jesus. And what do they say? Call the fire down on them like Elijah. Burn them all up. So if God answered every prayer that you prayed, some of them are just foolish prayers. Like the person that cuts you off on the interstate. Dear God, that idiot, they're going to have a wreck. Okay, wouldn't you just love it every time you said they're going to have a wreck? Let me crash. You know, you'd, you'd be up telling the church you have a wreck anointing. I had an anointing. If you, if you know somebody you don't like, you just go ride in the car with me and we'll, we'll, we'll ride behind them. I'll tell you, I can prophesy a wreck in a, in a heartbeat. You know, you know what I'm saying? We'd be killing everybody. Are you listening to somebody? So God, God knows how people are. Now, but watch this. This is where it gets interesting. And we're going to go to, though it tarry, wait for it. That's the title of the message. Though it tarry, wait for it. Here's what it says. It, the vision's real. Let me break it down. So what God told you is real. What he promised you that's in, written in your journal is real. What he said to you in the prayer meeting five years ago Still real. Never give up in the night what God gave you in the light. In other words, as long as you're in church, you can believe it. But when you get out there and people are nipping at you, then it becomes difficult. Do you know what a relief it is to step in the house of God every Sunday or Wednesday? To get out of that system that's out there and get around people that think and believe the way you do. You know what that's like? It's joy. But he says this, it will tarry. It will seem to delay. Then he says this, though it tarry, wait, because it will not tarry. So how can it tarry? And in the same sentence, it will not tarry. Because this is how it works. It is tearing right now. But the, when it's the time for it to happen, it will not tarry anymore. So what he's trying to say is, there is a delay in the answers to your prayer. There is a delay into why. 
I mean, this, let's talk about the property. I'm sure your church knows this property has been off and on for sale for quite some time, but it just doesn't seem to sell at the time that all of us would like for it to sell. Am I telling the truth, Rhonda? It had been a whole lot easier just to sell and then make the move and do what we're going to do. Though it tarries, wait for it. For when it comes time, this is what God is saying. When it comes time, it will happen suddenly. And it will tarry no longer. Come on, put your hands together and thank God for a little word right there. Though it tarry, it's not going to tarry. Now, three messages from God in this. Number one, it is for a time. And this is not the outline. These are just a point. Number two, it is delayed only for a season. Number three, though it's delayed, wait for it. So here's what God is saying. It is for a certain time. I'm going to tell you some stories in a moment that everything is totally about the timing of God and not missing the timing of God. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. Number two, it is for a season. Now, the Bible says there's seed, there's time, and then there's harvest. You don't go from seed to harvest. It is impossible. You go from seed to a period of time, and then you get the harvest. So in other words, there's winter, spring, summer, and fall. We are in, Pam and I just happen to be in, and, and it cracks me up because we build up funds to do things, and we build up funds. You know, my television airtime is $5 million a year, and we don't send out letters asking people for money on our partner list ever. So, I mean, I've got to have God to move. But all of a sudden, then God tells me, send somebody this, send that ministry that, send that person that. And I start buying buildings for people, giving money away. And it's hilarious. But every time we've done it, we've watched God break through for us. So we're not ever, we're not ever just belligerent if the Lord speaks to us because of what we've seen it do. But we also know that there are seasons of giving. And I'm going to talk to the church for a moment where you feel like all you're doing is giving. And you haven't got a, a pay raise. And the car still has four bald tires. And the dog still needs a haircut. Come on, somebody. And you, you haven't been able to get that. And so you will go through times, all of us do, where it was like, well, all we're doing is giving and giving. When will the financial breakthrough that we believe for come? Here I was, here's your word. Though it tarry, wait for it. Though it tarry, wait for it. Well, Brother Perry, I have been really praying Oh, really for a long time, for a healing. I believe the Lord told me that there's going to be a healing. I mean, I know it. I saw a dream. I heard a vision. Somebody that didn't know me prophesied you got somebody in your family and so-and-so and so gave the details. It hadn't happened yet. What am I going to do? Here's your answer. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because the wait for it is patience. And the Bible said, by faith and patience, we inherit a promise patience is long endurance patience is is is, is a period of time where you just kind of lay back and you say okay nothing's happening but i'm going to chill out and god's got to work through this look man we've been through pam and i have been through stuff that went on for years and we had to keep waiting and we're waiting on that person to do that and we're waiting on this person to do that and then one day i'm talking one day one second bam it's all over there it is it's done and so it's like when are you going to show up And the, the thing about it you've got to understand with god is it has to be in timing now everybody everybody say wait I'm going to explain to you what the word wait means. The, now, hang on. There's several uh, Hebraic 
ideas as to what it means to wait. First of all, the word wait can mean this in Hebrew, to entrench. And what that means is it's kind of a military term, and it means there's a battle, you are in a trench, and you hunker down while the artillery is firing all around you. So the idea of wait is to hunker down in one spot and just wait and as the battle ceases and as the war is over, then you step out and say, hey, it's okay because we won. Everybody tracking with me on that? So one form of wait is almost, a, as we would say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, like God said to Moses. That's one term. Now, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, Isaiah said. That word wait in Hebrew is real interesting because I was real surprised by this, but it means to weave a garment. It means to weave a garment. So to weave a garment, you have to have several parts uh, connecting together to weave a garment to form a beautiful garment. So when you wait on the Lord in that sense, that does not necessarily mean to entrench yourself till God shows up. That means to, to weave yourself into the presence of the Lord and to rest in the presence of the Lord so that your youth will be renewed. Because the Bible said it this way in the New Testament. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is what? Renewed day by day. And how is it, is, how is it renewed? Because the Bible says it's the spirit that quickeneth. And if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it shall also do what? Quicken your mortal body. So the weaving there is not to hunker down. The weaving there is to weave yourself into the presence of God. And I know the other day, but it was glorious. I was going to go preach at John Kilpatrick's church. And when you go to John Kilpatrick's church, you better be anointed. That's all I'm going to tell you. And I was in Hamilton, Alabama at our house in Hamilton. And we have a chair and it's really funny because when I go to Hamilton, I'm away from all the cares and the different things. So I pull that chair back. It's one of those wide chairs that, you know, put your feet out. And I go to these YouTube videos of church bloopers. Has anybody ever seen the church bloopers? Oh my goodness. I feel like writing a book one time saying it can only happen in a Pentecostal church and then tell my stories I know of church bloopers. But, uh, but what I did, though, I, I watched that for a little bit, and then I sat back, and I just felt the presence of God. And I prayed for hours. I actually spent six hours in the presence of God. And when I got to John Kilpatrick's church, this is the weaving of the Lord. This is what happens when you weave with the Lord. I'm telling you, the power of God hit me, and I preached a message called Sing King. Did I ever tell you about Sing King? I preached a message called Sing King, and the glory of God, it was Easter, hit the place, and I could hardly stand up physically to preach. Now, the, that's what happens when the mortal body weaves itself into the presence of God. So if you ever are at home or you're driving and you encounter that, just you know what it is. It's like you're in a church service and somebody's, you're just by yourself. Then don't miss that. Don't do something to get out of that. That's God trying to renew your strength. It's God trying to renew your mind. So don't ever pass that up. So we've got that. Now, here's the point. Why does it tarry? And the answer is time. There is seed, there's time, and there's harvest. Now, I'm going to give you some quick examples here. Abraham was told at 75 that he would have a son, but it took 24 years for that son to be born. Now, wait a minute. Everybody knows if God tells you you're going to have a son, that it only takes nine months for a baby to get here. 
So I want to know why did it take 24 years for this baby to come? Then we have a second example here. Sarah is told when she is 66 years of age, she's going to, uh, the son is going to be through Sarah. He was only married to Sarah. He's only got one wife. But it's 24 years later also before that baby is born. And I have to ask myself the question, why did it tarry that long? It tells us this. Abraham was strong in faith giving God the glory. So he hunkered down in the trench, so to speak, but he kept on believing. He kept, he didn't doubt. He didn't, he did, he did, staggered not at the promise of God. That's what it says in the New Testament. So he's still believing. He's still believing. He's still believing. Every now and then he'd have a conversation with God. Genesis 15, that went something like this. God says, I am your shield and I am your reward. Now the reward would be a son. Would you agree? That would be his greatest reward. Abraham then says, what shall you give me seeing that I go childless? Now, that doesn't mean he's in unbelief. He's asking the question, when? I'm older. When? 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 Just ask it. I just want to know when. And that's when God, God on several occasions had to tell him, a great nation's coming out of you. And then a few chapters later, great nations are coming out of you. And a chapter later, and the great sea. So he had to keep telling you. Can you imagine if you're waiting 24 years for something? So what are you going to do? Just sit there and hear nothing from God? No, every now and then it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Though it tarry, come on, though it tarry, 24 years. Here's another example. Uh, Jacob was, was given a promise by his father Isaac of the land. He was going to get the land. But guess what happened? He had to go to Syria for 20 years. Read it in your Bible. Have his wages changed by his father-in-law, his future father-in-law, Ten times. Cutting money from you. I'm going to give you some money. You're doing good. Cutting money from you. Giving some. No, ten times. And then finally came back to. So here's my question. Why did it take so long? I'm going to answer this, by the way. I'm not just asking the question. I'm going to answer it. Joseph, <clears throat> we don't know the exact amount of time. Joseph is falsely accused of adultery with Potiphar's wife and has to go to jail ten years. Now, I don't know about you. If I'd have been Joseph and been falsely accused in 10 years, when I got out, I'd have hung Potiphar. Come on, somebody. And his wife for lying on me for 10 years. But he's there for 10 years, and then all of a sudden, sudden, a dream interpretation gets him out of jail after 10 years. And he even tells the dream to a butler and a baker and says, Y'all, now when you go before Pharaoh, talk about me, tell him about me. And they totally forgot. One of, them might have, one, of them, one of them ended up with his hung or his head chopped off, and the other one ended up in the king's court. And years later, the king has the dream. Oh, you know what? Yeah, 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 several years ago. I just thought about this. Dude, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you tell the king? Boy, this guy, there's a guy down there. If you ever have a dream, you need him. If I say timing. I'm going to show you why it took 10 years. Mm -hmm. Jesus was two years in Egypt because of death threats. He had to leave his home, uh, Nazareth and also Bethlehem, read the Bible, and went at least two, they say it could have been three, years and come back to the promised land after his assassins and the leader of that group was dead. Now, why did it take so long? Anybody want answers? Raise your hand. If everybody, if 100% will raise your hand, 
I'll answer. If 100% don't, I'm going to sit down and quit preaching. So where's the people? Where's the people? Let me look at this side over here. Who wants an answer? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How come you're not raising? Some of you ain't raising your hands. You're just stubborn today, aren't you? It's okay. I might preach on you and point you out in about five minutes. So you just better raise your hands. You know. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay. All right. Why did it take? Does, does anybody want to uh, crack the code on this one? Why did it take 24 years before God finally gave Sarah the baby? I'll give you one verse. Ready for the verse? Genesis 18, 11. Sarah ceased to be after the manner of women. Now, let me, let me rephrase this for you. She had to go through menopause to where she biologically could not have a baby, and then God gave her a baby. Do you know why? Because it was a miracle child. Israel was going to be born as a miraculous nation and be the smallest among the nations but become the greatest in the earth. And let me give you the second example. Many, many centuries later, thousands of years later, a virgin who did not have the seed of a man in her gave birth to the Messiah. So God wanted a picture of what it was like for a woman to not be able to give birth to a baby. And that's why they called his name Yitzhak or Isaac, which means laughter. Because everybody said, oh, what a beautiful grandchild. He said, grandchild, nothing. That's my boy. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah is 90 and Abraham is 99 years of age. Now, my first question to God would be this. Okay. So you're going to give me a boy when I'm 100. Well, do you understand that when I'm 100, I'm an old man? So how am I supposed to enjoy a boy when I'm 100? Now, this is your question. This is my question. And the answer is, you don't know how long you're going to live. Let me tell you how long Abraham lived. 37 years after Isaac is born. Now, anybody here that's 30 years of age knows that's, that's, that's a pretty long time. That's, you know, you go back from the beginning to 30 years. That's a pretty long time. That's a good life. So God knew he would be able to enjoy the boy for 37 years and watch him grow up until he too was married. Boy, I could preach a little bit on that right there. But God said, I'm going to wait a long time till Sarah cannot biologically have kids and then I'm going to let her get pregnant so everybody will know this nation came from a miracle. That's what it was about. That's why he waited. That's why he waited. Then we go to the second one. Jacob, Genesis chapter 27 and 44. When Jacob is about to leave because he tricked his brothers Esau, he got his birthright, and then he later got his blessing, and Esau was going to kill Jacob. Look at it. Read it. He was coming after him to kill him. The mama said to him, the mama said to Jacob, Jacob, pack a bag and go down to Syria because I want you to stay with your uncle Laban, or it, it was, you know, her brother. I want you to stay with him for a few days until your brother's wrath be cooled off. So you know the story. He packs up, takes nothing with him but a bag and probably, probably what he's riding on, goes all the way down to the well, meets the woman, 
work seven years. Look, work seven years to get this beautiful girl, and the her dad gave him the wrong woman. Now it says that Leah, the first wife he gets, is tender-eyed. Now, do you know what tender-eyed means? Cross-eyed. No, really, seriously. Tender-eyed in Hebrew, I started looking this up. It doesn't mean her eyes were pretty. It, so when she woke up on her honeymoon night, she saw two Jacobs. She saw two men with her. <laughs> oh, I'm really, because, you know, if you've ever had that problem, I mean, you know, if you've ever had that problem, you see two figures. I'm not making fun of people. I'm just saying, you know, and he, he woke up beside her. He said, no, oh my God, this is not who I wanted. And he always kind of mistreated her, if you ever check the story out. But he had to work seven years to get the right woman. Now, I don't know. I'm going to pull a CM Ward on you. I'm going to pull a C.M. Ward on you right now. C.M. Ward was on TBN with Jan Crouch, and he was older. And, you know, he got just maybe a little bit senile, but he's one of the greatest preachers in the world on Revival Radio for the Simmons of God for years. Jan Crouch says, now, C.M., what, what are you looking forward to when you go to be with the Lord? What are you looking to when you get to heaven? Well, you know, the, the real spiritual answer is, I cannot wait to see my Savior. I cannot wait to see what he really looks like. And the nail scars, you know, you get real spiritual. Everybody's at home going, <laughs> you know. And he says, well, Jan, in all, in all honesty, I've always been curious about Bathsheba. Now, the reason I'm curious about Bathsheba is the king could have had any woman he wanted, but he went after this married woman so she must have, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, she must have been a knockout. So I want to see the glorified body of Bathsheba. <laughs> Nobody did anything to see him because they knew he was older. How many of you know when you get real, when you get real old, you get by with a lot more? Come on, somebody. I mean, you can, you can have white legs and white socks and sandals and a Hawaiian shirt, and nobody's making fun of you. They just say, he's an old man, let him go. You can get up and eat breakfast at 11 o'clock. Nobody cares. Come on when you get to be that age. Now, <coughs> I'm going to try to stay on target here if I can. Anyway, I just I want to know, what, what did a woman look like that she worked 14 years for? That's my point. He worked 14 years, and then he worked an additional six. Let me tell you how long it took. <coughs> it took a period of 20 years. He's down there 20 years. He gets his wages changed 10, 10 times. But let me tell you why. The reason was... In that time, <coughs> he had a number of sons. Remember? Benjamin's the last one. Benjamin is actually born in the Holy Land when they return. So there's 11 sons, and there's a daughter. And why did God wait? Because if he takes him back as Jacob without a family, he has no one to help him take the territory God's promised. So with, so with 11 sons, he has a tribe. And that tribe was strong enough with their babies and with their animals to get respect from the pagan people living in the land. Number two, he waits 20 years because in 20 years, if you still hold a grudge, you got a problem. And when he sees Esau, when he sees Esau, they hug and weep on each other's neck. It gave him enough time for his brother who wanted to kill him to cool off. God knew that he had to have a family that was large and a time for that bad, bad family thing to die out before he could take him in. If he'd have taken him in a year or two before, I guarantee you Esau would have killed him. Everybody say, God knows what he's doing. 
Third, third example, Joseph. So why does God wait? Why does God wait? I mean, look, he's falsely accused. He didn't try to disprove it. He goes on to jail. He goes down there for year after year after year, meets the butler and the baker, but the butler and the baker, you know, one of them dies, one lives, and says nothing to him at Pharaoh after he says, please tell Pharaoh about it. Says nothing. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. What's the dream? Seven cows that are strong, seven cows that are weak, seven stalks of grain that are strong, seven stalks of grain that are dried up, and he can't interpret it. And one of them said, Oh, man, the guy I was in prison with. What man were you in prison with? His name is Joseph. Uh, He's the guy that interpreted the dream that I'd be standing before you. He's a dream interpreter. Go get him. Here's why God waits all that time. It's real simple, real simple. He puts him aside all that time for one reason. Had Joseph not been in Egypt, the Bible makes it very clear that the seven years of famine would have absolutely devastated Canaan land. And there's a possibility he, his father, and sons would have died in a famine. But he took seven years, come on somebody, after a dream, made grain, granaries, and the family went down there and bought grain and survived and ended up fulfilling the prophecy of Genesis 15 and moving down to Egypt for 400 years where God, they grew to 600,000 men. And that's when God brought them out to take over the pagan land and tribes in the, they had enough men to put the fear in every tribe that was living in the promised land. See, see, mm, thank you, G. See, the, the, the whole thing I want to tell you is in the bottom line, although at times, and you're looking at somebody who knows what he's saying, at times you're trying to figure out, okay, God knows everything, but what in the world is he up to? And I want to tell you what I have learned. Ready? Satan's lies are always loud and public. God's working is behind the scenes in silence. Y'all always remember this. What you see happening in your life, in the activity and the belligerence of people, or whether it's family or relatives going crazy, that's what you're seeing. And what you're wanting God to do is publicly, with your eyes, show you what to do or how to approach this. And you're going to be like, give me a dream, God. Give me a dream. Give me a dream. And you dream that night. You dream you're drowning in a lake somewhere catching a big fish. You know, Hank used to catch fish. I mean, you know, you have a crazy dream, and you go for weeks and nothing's happening. Here's what you got to remember. The whole time... <clears throat> That you are waiting, God is working. Here's what he says. You don't work, and I wait. (coughs) You wait, and I'll work. I want everybody to get this. I'm not just pressing an issue. I want everybody to get this. All right. (coughs) Now, here's something I want to tell you. I'm going to give you... I'm going to try to go through. I'm telling you, that itch has got me. I can't hardly talk. Hang on. <coughs> y'all do it. Y'all have this problem, too? And water ain't helping. <coughs> That's what Judy Jacobs says to do. I'm not speaking in tongues, by the way. When we were, when Pam and I were, uh, our offices were at Mr. B's restaurant. 
Anybody in town <coughs> remember Mr. B? <coughs> Mass Creek. Okay. Uh, our offices were there, and we needed a new building. Bad. You remember that? You dropped by. Okay. And so I said, I'm, I'm at my desk, and I said, Pam, we got to get in a car and drive. Pam, maybe I'm busy. You're going to give me a cough drop while I'm preaching. Well, what I'll do, I'll suck it down my throat and cough. You know what I'm saying? I'm a... Uh, Brother Stone died on Sunday in Harvard Harvest because he choked to death on a cough drop. I, I'll try to get through this. Uh, well, I'm almost afraid to eat it because I will be. Oh, is that, a, is that a little pellet? Anybody have a cough drop offering you'd like to present before the kingdom of God today? If we're just putting an offering plate out because I'm a, the way it's going, I'm going to need help. Before the Lord. God, we thank you for this. This is a tithe from this brother. I just pray that you'll bless him with ten more. Ten more. This is the tenth. Bless him with ten more. In Jesus' name. <laughs> that does help. Thank you. Okay. Here we go. We, we <laughs> Yeah. So we get a car and we drive. And so we end up driving. I had lived here for years on Michigan Avenue. Never been there. Never been on Michigan Avenue. I turn left at the light, and there's this beautiful field with a white house up there. And it's for sale. I said, Pam. And it's for sale by a man that we knew, a carol, one of the carols. I said, Pam, this would be a place we could build. I never knew this was out here. Oh, my. 18 acres. And I called him, and he said, um, well, how much do they want? And if I, Pam, it was 200, I can remember, $220,000. Which back, Can you build that 18 acres for $220,000? On that road. Those were the days. He said, let me call the family. And the Swafford family owned it. I knew nothing about them. They came to meet me. They said, well, what do you what do you want the property for? I said, ministry center. And I'm going to build a, this here and I'm going to put that there and this and this. And here's the part that blew my mind. I'm out walking that property. And in a vision in 1988, God showed me a TV tower a set of concrete steps going up to the tower. Concrete, but nothing was there. And right in front of that house under weeds were those concrete steps. And I said, oh my God. This, remember that, Charlie? I said, this is it. Charlie was with me. I said, this is the, pro this is the property I saw in 1988. Oh my God, I was going crazy. And by the way, there is an antenna up there right now where that house was. Ooh, I just thought about that. Okay. So then the family said, you see that white house? Our mother was a Baptist lady who wanted to be a missionary, but because the Baptist church did not allow women ministers, she could never be a missionary. But she sat on the front porch and prayed overlooking this field for the harvest. And I said, well, let me tell you about, is your mom alive? No, she's in heaven. I said, let me tell you what your mom is about to get. You sell me this property, your mom is going to get a harvest because we're going to preach the gospel around the world. This is, the, this is the fun part. They met with the family so I could afford it and dropped it by $40,000. And today, all that property you see at Voice of Evangelism, all of it that we have is a result of that family, and it was all in what? Say it again. Okay, now, phase two. I'm clear about phase one. That was phase one. Phase two, the manifest telecast. 1988. Zephyr Hills, Florida, month of February. I'll never, I will never forget this. Anyway, one of our great evangelists in America had a confession, and it was getting public, and 
Rick Tao's father-in-law, who was Clyde Fuller, who owned Covenant Transport. It was a Covenant Transport, I think, honey. He owned truck lines, was on this man's board. And I called Rick. I said, Rick, they're saying this on the news. And is that true? He said, there is something true about it. But he said, I don't have the details. Clyde is in a meeting right now. Well, I was so depressed because I loved this man. And I knew what it would do to the body of Christ. Now, I went and laid, laid across a pew in Zephyr Hills at 11 o'clock. And I was preaching a revival there. And the pastor was there. And we prayed all night long. And at 3 in the morning, for no reason, I'm almost in a semi-state. And I hear the words, manifest, just like that. When I heard it, it was M-A-N-N-A-F-E-S-T. And I sat straight up. And I heard the voice of God say, I'm going to give you a television program. It's going to reach the world. But don't tell anybody what I, the name I gave you. I went home and told her, my wife Pam, wrote it down. And it was 12 years later before we ever started a, tele, a telecast. The reason we never told the title, T.D. Jakes called me years later and wanted to name his Atlanta conferences with 100,000 people coming, Manifest. I'm telling you inside story. Paul White called me and said, now the bishop wants that title. And I said, well, let me pray about it first. And when I prayed about it, I promise you God spoke to me what I'm going to tell you. Oops, there you go. There you go. Oh, LeBron, it's a mess up here. Sell that on eBay if you want to, honey. Somebody's watching right now. You might as pay the church off. I don't know. I'm just in rear form today, folks. Just God's blessing me, okay? I'm in rear form. So, uh, when I went before the Lord in prayer, because I thought, you know, what's the big deal about letting somebody have that name? It's a name God gave me. I heard God tell me in prayer, so you're going to be an Esau. I said, Lord, I don't understand. He said, I didn't give T.D. Jake, Jakes that name. I gave it to you. And he said, it's for you and your ministry. Don't be an Esau and give away your birthright. And I called Paula, and I remember she's a little upset about it. She says, this is the bishop. I said, yeah, but God's God. And I fear God more than I do the bishop. I was being respectful because I love the man. So this is not disrespect. And so we kept the title manifest, but it was 12 years later in 2000. And I'm just going to say something here that I thought was very, very unique, and it still raises the hair on my arms today. And again, I'm telling you some things kind of inside the vault. It was the Pigeon Forge camp meeting called the main event. Now, does anybody go back with me that far? Anybody go back with me that far to the main event in Pigeon Forge at the Grand Hotel. On my platform, it just so happened, this was about the year 1999, I remember. Charlie, am I right? 1999, you know what I'm going to say. Every musician on that, every musician and singer on that platform happened to be the musicians and singers for a man named Jimmy Swagger. And in the middle of standing with Jimmy, the whole, am I right? The whole band, everybody was Jimmy Swagger singers. And in the middle of it, a prof the prophecy came forth, it is time for you to go on television to reach the nations of the world. And why did it take 12 years? Here's why. Because in 12 years, God opened up a door for me to be on every major Christian network and build relationships with the owners. I was with Marcus Lamb when they opened up Daystar the first night in Texas. There was no network. And we were asking people to call and they were calling what the blank is this where you know I mean, we can cuss out and we don't need another christian station around here i mean they were people people were a little bit tough 
And then some were happy. Some knew Marcus. They were happy. But I remember we built relationships. And I'm not going to go into all the detail, but I was able to go on major networks, including Letter TBN, all because in 12 years before I ever went on, we built relationships with every major network. And it made it a whole lot easier to get airtime. Watch this. I had helped them raise funds for their station. And they would say, Brother Stone has helped us. Let's help Brother Stone. And we, to this day, uh, we're not on TBN. That's, that's by our choice because we, the YouTube channel was getting so many views worldwide that we went off of TBN. And we love TBN. We love Matt and Lori. And we're still friends with them. But every other network outside of TBN, we're on. In fact, no, we're on TBN. Russia, TBN, Pacific. So we're still on outside the United States. But my point is, are you listening to somebody? It took seed and I got the harvest after time. I planted seed. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. I planted seeds 12 years helping these stations. Then in time, we got our harvest of being able to reach the world. Somebody help. Somebody praise God with me for that. I got two more left. Phase three. Phase three. And when my wife, this actually was before she was pregnant, I had a dream of two girls. And one of them told me her name was Amanda. Some of you have heard me tell this. And find out Pam is pregnant, right? And so we are convinced we're going to have a girl. We picked out, we picked out one's name would be Rochelle. Rochelle, but well, the other one's name was Rochelle. Amanda said that's Rochelle. And Rochelle means from a little stone. Is that not cool? Two girls. Pam gets pregnant, we know it's a girl, and a boy comes out. And we were surprised because she went, I was in Leeds, Alabama, preaching for Victor Massey and Jamie, and she went back, was it here to get your, what do they call that, honey? Ultrasound. And I knew she was going to come back and say it's a girl. And she, I'm going to say what she said to me before church. She holds the ultrasound up, and she says, I said, what is it? She says, you see that little thing right there? I'm in church. I'm not going to go any further than that in the pulpit. I said, it's a boy. It's a boy. And I have just enjoyed, I've enjoyed my boy. But guess, guess how long? Now, listen. Guess how long it took to have that baby girl? Twelve years. You know, God spoke to me one day. I said, God, when's that girl coming? He said, faith without works is dead, son. Some of you will get that. Some of you are real slow this morning, but the rest of you will get it. She became pregnant, and was it three months into the pregnancy, honey? Three months. She lost the baby. That was Rochelle. We know it was. And I, I don't want to get into all that. There's a real story behind that. She said, baby, I don't She's 40, and she said, I don't know if I can get pregnant again. She got pregnant again. On the seventh month, they made you pretty much lay down because what do they call that? What was? What was? Water was low. And they would say stuff like, now, this baby could be uh, Dow syndrome. This baby could have... Be mentally retarded. I said, let me tell you something. I never saw a baby that looked like that in that vision. Amanda was healthy and strong. And she could talk to me and she would had no problem. And I kept telling Pam, she's going to be okay. And when that baby came out, it was a girl. And I named her Amanda. And she is a genius, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, gifted, 21 years of age today. So we talked about this and I said, you know, we should have had her probably. We looked back on it and said, I should have had it, her earlier. But then... The Lord spoke to me and he said, let me tell you why I just went ahead and 
did not put it in your heart to have the baby till till today until uh, 2000 when she was born and why she it's important for her to be her age say her age, her age. if I'd have had her when I wanted to have her she would have been uh, 31 30 years old 30 she's 21 she's at the ramp and God spoke to me and said I told you that you were going to have a time where you were going to reach a lot of young people. We're bringing Warrior, Warrior Fest back next year. And I said, you, I said, you have a lot of time. And she said, you, I, you needed a daughter that could relate to this generation. Because what she's been through. She was bound by pornography when she was 11. And you needed a daughter that could relate to the people of this She has compassion. I'm, she's the least judgmental girl you ever met in your life. She loves everybody. People can be really totally crazy, and she'll say, well, you know, Dad, they just have a problem. Something happened to them that made them that way. No, I'm telling you, I've never met no. I have never met nobody like this. She could be a counselor. She could be a pastor, and she's a magnet. Is she not for everybody that has problems? And she doesn't say, oh, I'm just so tired. She would just talk to them and talk to them. And even when I was going through some things, you know what she would do? Dad, she text me. I read this this morning. This is for you. And she'd send me a scripture from Psalms, and she'd hit it on the head every time. I needed her now. God needed her now. So, in other words, I, we didn't, even though we're older, and we said, boy, it'd be nice if she had grandbabies. We're trying to find her a husband to get married. Come on, somebody. Would you help us pray? I hope she's not watching this. But don't y'all put your resume in, because you got to come through me if you even date her, okay? So, there, I have some strict rules on dating my daughter. First of all, I said, honey, what we're praying for is a preacher who's got some money in his family, okay? So we just want you to know <laughs> I'm a hillbilly from West Virginia. We had to build everything for 50 years, okay? But I, I want someone that will care for her, love her, and, 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 and be whatever God's will is. Now, 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 fourth, now I want you to notice this because this involves Church of the Harvest. And, and Rhonda, I believe, will remember this. I don't remember the year that Hank and I talked about BOE buying the property. Do you remember the year that was? Nine and ten. Okay. I, I, I knew that you'd probably remember. I didn't want to get the date wrong. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to me, and I'm. this is the last thing I'm going to share, and I have three quick points to, you can write down. The Lord spoke to me uh, many years ago, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do the latter part of my life? Now, I wasn't, you know, I was, this, we're talking about years ago. I'm 64 in June. I'd been in my early 50s. But I said, in this stage of where I'm going for years, do you want me to keep traveling and preaching? Do you want me to build something? Do you want me? And I would just, and I am typing a book, and I hear God say, do you want to go where I'm going? You know how you hear that voice? It comes out of nowhere. And I, I said, whoa, whoa. He said, I'm going to the sons and daughters. He said, build me a gathering place for a generation. Oh, wow, what does that look like? And he says, I want you to help impart to this next generation what you have learned through your mentors. And I want you to impart the baptism of the Holy Ghost to this generation. And he just gave me a word. I'm expounding on it more than I have publicly. Well, I knew if I'm going to build it, i got to have land. And I told Pam, I said, well, you know, how many acres are here? Is it 16? 16 acres. And I said, they're up there with the hotels and everything. And I said, let me talk to Hank. And we got to talk. And Hank said, well, you know, if, if that's what you'd like to do, we'd love to have you buy the property. And we actually started, look, I mean, paperwork, looking into it. 
And then I promise you this happened just like this. <coughs> I'm getting ready to proceed, and the Lord tells me it's not big enough. And I said, why didn't you tell me that earlier? And he said, because you weren't listening. He said, you had your ideas. You love Hank and Rhonda. You want to be a blessing to them. You want to, you're a family. But said, you didn't listen to me. If you'd have slowed down and listened, I would have told you you need 100 acres. I ha- and I, I know it, I really, it really broke Hank's heart, I know, because that would have been a blessing to the church. But I, he understood that. I said, Hank, I don't know what, what is going on, but the Lord told me there's a lot more to this building and what we're going to do, and i got to find where I'm supposed to go. So we started looking. And I'm telling you, everywhere we looked was a problem. And then right behind Voice of Evangelism was a farm owned by Steve Williams. And Tommy Bates gave me a prophecy at camp and said, what you're looking? He was just prophesying. He said, what you're looking for is right behind your facility. What you need is right, in your, right in your, outside your house, something like that. Huh? It's behind you. It's behind you. And he's talking about something we're going to do. So this is behind the property. So I went and told, talked to Steve Williams. And, you know, Steve's got those dark glasses on, and he's a, he, he's a Baptist uh, fella, and his wife's Pentecostal. That's a real combination right there. And uh, so Steve listened to me like this, and he slides those glasses down. He said, let me just tell you something. we got hundreds of churches in this county, and if you're going to get up here and build another church, I'm not interested in selling it, to be honest with you. I said, well, it's not for church. It's for young people. And when I did that, he takes his glasses off. He said, well, tell me about that. And I said, well, I'm supposed to build a gathering place for young people. And I said, one day, I think, I think if God lets me do it, there'll even be a camp of some kind. And I said, it takes a lot of money, but it may be down the road. And the next generation might build it. But I said, it's going to be a place for, for, for featuring young people. That's going to be one of the big things. He said, he said oh, God. And I said, why? Why did you say that? He said, because when, when I bought this, God told me it was for young people. I said, well, good. You need to sell it to me then. <laughs> he said, let me go home and pray. He took his wife's Bible, that King James Bible of his wife, and he, he did that Bible roulette. Okay, Lord, if this is what you need me to do, just show me a verse. You, know? you got to be careful with that because you might get the verse that says Judas hung himself, go do likewise. Or you, you'll, get a, you'll get a weird verse, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, they, and he died with emrods. Or, you know, it's like, God, please, no. I need, to, I need a prophetic word here. And so he said it landed on that verse in Matthew. No man has left houses and lands for my sake that shall not get a hundredfold in this life. So he said to me, he said, I'm, he said, you know what? I don't have a choice. I'm going to have to sell it to you. I said, okay. So we bought it. Now I want you to listen to the other side of this. We bought it during the worst recession up till that point that America had been in. If you remember that, there was the banking crisis, there was the Lehman Brothers crisis. Nobody, but listen, we went to we went, we went to borrow money to build OCI. No bank in town would give me a loan. That's okay because God had a millionaire plan that was going to help me that we didn't even know about, and He don't even profess to be a Christian. Hello, that's all I'm gonna say. And He may be, I don't know, but I don't think He makes that profession. So here's the deal. Excuse me while I just mute. He sold the property, but all of a sudden, Steve started getting bids. He, he, he moves dirt and stuff like that. He started getting bids for every job around. 
and he would overbid because he was too busy and still get it. And he was so busy, he had to go buy more equipment when nobody else in this area could get work. And I looked at him one day, I said, you know why you got this, don't you? And he said, yeah, I sure do. He said, I sold that property. I said, if you gave God something he wants, he's going to give you something you need. All right. I'm going to give you three things and I'm done. How do you hold on to a promise that you know you have? One, write it down. If I were you and you're serious about this, I would write down what God told you and stick it on the refrigerator where you see it every day or stick it on the mirror in the bathroom if your bathroom's mirror is big enough and just say, I want to remind you, you really did tell me this and I'm believing for it. Just to remind you and, remind, and speak it out. All, listen, always speak it out loud. Number two is you lay claim to it to do what Abraham did. Watch this. He was strong in faith, giving God the glory before the sun came. So you have to go into this thing of always thanking the Lord. And I knew, I, I have had more breakthroughs when I stopped saying, well, I just wish God would do this. And I, it's, it just seems to be delayed. Nothing was, ha as long as I was talking, I don't know why. I just don't understand. I don't know why. Nothing ever happened in my life, ever. When I started thanking God, and just zipping my, Pam knows I'm telling the truth. When I started thanking God and just zipping my lip, we would, next day, next week, next month, it would all happen. But you have to believe and thank him. Ask without doubting. And sometimes you can talk right over top of your blessings coming. And part of the waiting is thanking while you're waiting. Number three, and this, is, this actually goes in with number two, never talk contrary to your promise. You've heard me talk about Jonathan when Jonathan had a very strong addiction. And I would say, oh, I tell you what, if God ever touches him, if God ever comes, if he ever comes to the altar, if he ever gets right, if, 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 if. I must have said if a thousand times. And uh, we had a bad report, and I was at a hotel with one of my uh, security people. We are walking to the back to the hotel, and I was just railing on that boy. I don't understand what's the matter with him, blah, 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 blah. And the Lord stopped me, and he said, you're aborting your breakthrough." You've been praying for him for years, and every time you open your mouth like that, the enemy can come before me and say, listen to Perry talk. You can't help his son. Listen, he's, he's talking contrary to the prayer. He's praying, but he's talking contrary to it. And the Lord gave me this word. He said, quit saying if and start saying when. And I said, when Jonathan gets saved, when he gets right. And I'm telling you, what was it, honey? Two months later, the whole thing started turning, and it turned from that moment on. Not that he doesn't struggle every now and then. Everybody does. But I'm saying it is completely different from what it was, 100% turnaround. Somebody give God praise. You know what? I had a verse here I didn't read. Here we go, Romans 4, 18 through 21. Romans 4, 18 through 21. You can write this down. Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. Watch this. Against hope. Nobody can have a baby. She's in menopause. But against that, he still believed that he might be the father of many nations according to which that which was spoken. So he's believing what has been said. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. What does that tell you? She was dead in her womb. But... Staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Here's the key. Giving 
glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he has promised, he was also able to perform. Okay? Now, there'll be a day that, ooh, Jesus. Sister Rhonda, I don't know what all your prayers have been. There'll be a day when all those one by one by one will fall like dominoes. Fall like a bowling ball hitting bowling pins. And they'll just fall, fall, fall. And you'll begin to see things. I believe that. I believe, I believe in my heart, Pam and I both know, that that will happen. And I am, uh, I'm going to, we need to agree. Let me tell you what we need to agree on. We need to agree that God will send Rhonda Davis and this church someone who has the money to do everything that she's put in her heart. Because she's always, her and Hank always ministered to the people who needed it the most. That Hank gave more money away than only God, only God knows how much he gave away to help people. And some of those very people just turned on him. We've done the same, look, I've done the same thing. We've, we've, we've helped people. I told Pam about a year ago, I said, I wish I hadn't helped none of them the way they've treated us. We help, we help buy people cars. We helped, we helped pay their bills. There'd be, there'd be entire families with a, a whole bunch of kids. They'd be on the street right now if we hadn't helped them. And then they hear some story, and out the door they go, Oh, God, I'm offended. Okay, be offended. I don't care. But Pam said, I didn't do it for them. I did it for God. I did it as unto the Lord. So she has to, she has to straighten out my theology every now and then. What you do, do unto the Lord. We're not looking for people's approval and hand claps, you know. But you've been there. I know you've been there. But you keep doing what you do. All right. Who needed this word? Stand to your feet. We're going to pray over you. Good Lord, the whole church. Finally, I got a word that everybody needed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Raise your hands with me right now. And I know that sometimes we have altar services and other times that it, it fits that everybody's a believer. And so, so I want you to say this out with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for, for the word. And I believe it. I believe that what you've told me, you will eventually bring it to pass in my life. Not one word that you've given me will fall to the ground. But Lord, I have to hold up my faith. I have to go through the open doors. I have to pray for kingdom connections. And I have to keep believing for your glory and your honor that you're going to do something in my life and in the life of my family. In the name of Jesus.